So tonight is the next to the last of our 12 sessions, and uh, tonight we're only going to do two parables. Next week we'll do two parables, and that'll close out the 12 weeks of 35 parables. So tonight, um, let's begin with prayer. Father, I thank you for this journey that we've been on together through uh, these parables and I thank you, Lord, that uh, we've covered uh, 31 of them, and we've received a blessing. So, Lord, I just pray tonight you'd open our minds to understand the Scriptures, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. This parable in chronological order is uh, near the end. Uh, it's after the triumphant entry, so it sets it inside of the final days of Jesus before he goes to the cross. And uh, while last week I said they were very prophetic in nature, uh, tonight they are, well, I'll let you figure it out when we get into it. So we're going to be in Matthew 21, the parable of the two sons. There's two sons. Jesus begins by saying this, a question. But what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, the older son, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, no, I won't. But later, he changed his mind and went anyway. <clears throat> so let's, let's begin by understanding this. <clears throat> Jesus is telling a story. What do you think about this? He wants you to think. A man has two sons. The older son, he tells him, I want you to go work in the vineyard today. The boy says, nope, not doing it. But he had, he had a chance to think about it. And after he thought about it, he goes to the vineyard, okay? Son number one. Then the father told the other son, he'd be the younger son, you go. And he, the younger son, said, yes, sir, I will. <laughs> but he didn't go. And then verse 31, Jesus says, which of the two obeyed his father? Now, is this hard? If, would you fail this test if it was on the ACT? Would you fail this one? Which of the two obeyed his father? They replied, the first. Then Jesus explained his meaning. Here it comes, the meaning. It's not about boy going to work in the vineyard. I tell you the truth. Corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes. We've gone from two sons to corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. Whoever answered the question is probably thinking, I wish I'd have stayed home tonight. And then he clarifies it, and I'm going to show you where he's going. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him. Now, now, what are we talking about? What's the context? The father said, go to work in the vineyard. That's not complicated. Then the boy said, no, but then he went, okay? And then the other boy said, yes, and he didn't. Is it about saying yes or no? Or is it about what you do after you say yes or no. John the Baptist came and he showed you 
the right way to live. Now, you got to put that over top of the parable. If you don't, you're going to miss it. John the Baptist showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him while tax collectors and prostitutes did. What did they do that the other people didn't do? And even when you saw this happening, even when you saw tax collectors and prostitutes coming to Christ, coming to John the Baptist for the message of Christ, even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe, and here comes the magic word for tonight, and repent of your sins. So, let's go back to the parable. Which one's real? What you say or what you do? Which one's real? Because Jesus begins this parable with what? Uh, but what do you think about this? So, what do you think about this? Is it okay? That, are you successful in responding to Jesus when he says, go to work in my vineyard? And you say, yep. But you never, ever go to work in the vineyard. Or you say, nope, I don't even like your vineyard. But you have some time and you decide, I think I'll go to the vineyard. Which one? Jesus, in an earlier parable we studied weeks ago, says you can't put new wine in old wineskins. Can you see it? The old wineskin people is who's he, who he's talking to. And they refuse to believe about the new wine. And the new wine is not just about what you say yes to. The new wine is about what you allow to happen through him coming into you, into your life. So here's where, here's where I said you will miss it if you don't get the connection. John the Baptist told them the right way to live. That, that's what, he, he connects the stories to John the Baptist's message. Not me, he does. And John the Baptist uh, said this, and I'll, I'll get into it. John the Baptist reveals that the Holy Spirit always bears fruit. All right, so everybody get this. When the Holy Spirit comes, he always bears fruit. If there's no fruit, it's not a problem of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit bears fruit. It's what the Holy Spirit does. So in the example of the two sons, which one lacked the Holy Spirit? The son that said yes with his mouth, but he never bore any fruit because he never went to the vineyard. Even though he said he'd go to the vineyard, he never went to the vineyard. The other one, even in rebellion, even in his rebellion, the Holy Spirit produced fruit and he went to the vineyard. So, so stay with me. The first son, rebellion, why? Why would you say that? Why would Jesus bring that up? Because we, every one of us begins our journey in the rebellion. Whether you want to know it or not, whether you want to admit it or not, we're all that guy. Come to work in the vineyard, Terry. No. I did a whole years, uh, years of no. I don't even want, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to go to your vineyard. I got my own vineyard. But then something happens. And I, here, here's what, you'll hear this a lot tonight. <clears throat> when he says, come go to work in the vineyard, uh, he's actually telling me that while I'm walking away from him. If I was going to the vineyard, I'd be facing him, going toward him. <clears throat> what he wants me to do is turn around and go to the vineyard. Well, I'm not going to turn around and go to the vineyard. I'm going to keep walking in my way, away from the vineyard. But as I'm walking away from him, something happens. The Holy Spirit 
does something to me, and I turn around. And now I'm on my way into the vineyard to bear fruit. The Holy Spirit always bears fruit. So let's put that in the other guy. The other guy, um, he, he's, he's, he hears and says yes, but the reality is his back never turns. He's still walking away from God. He's just not even figured it out himself. So let's do something. John the Baptist <clears throat> is the, for John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him. So let's go down to Matthew chapter 3, and this is John the Baptist's message that I believe connects the two, okay? What's Jesus talking about? Here we go. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from all over Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John the Baptist. And when they, here it comes, da, 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 and when they confessed their sins, they're not just coming out to watch a show. When they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize. Now, these people aren't coming to confess their sins, are they? They're coming for the show. He denounced them and called them a brood of snakes or brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from God's coming wrath? Prove. Now, here comes the next. Verse 9 is the connection between, I believe, between Jesus' parable and John the Baptist told you the way to live. Verse 9. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. You know how you'd prove it? See if you're in the vineyard. Just look down and see if you're in the vineyard. If you said, yeah, I love that vineyard, you look down and you ain't never been in a vineyard. You're a liar. One translation says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. What, what, is, what was the example? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance is I've turned around and now I'm facing God. And the, and the, the, the vineyard's over here. Go to verse 9. Don't just say, don't just, don't just say to each other, we're safe for we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. And even now, here comes the threat. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the tree. Yes, every tree that doesn't produce fruit. Do you see it? The repentance there were some coming for the show. Some came and confessed their sins. And he, he rebukes the ones that came for the show because their show is only just talk. They're not in the vineyard. They're not producing bare fruit in keeping with repentance. In keeping with repentance. In if you had repented, we wouldn't be having this conversation. You wouldn't be arguing with me. That's, that's his whole point. Every tree that does not produce fruit was, is going to be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with, I baptize with water those who, what? Those who repent of their sins. You're not coming for the show. 
But someone's coming soon who's greater than I am, so much greater than I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, let me ask you a question. In that context, put all that together. When he baptizes you with the Holy Spirit and fire, do you think you're going to bear fruit? Do you think you're going to be in the vineyard? He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. And then he will clean up the threshing area, gather, gathering the wheat into the barn, burning the chaff with never-ending fire. I, I wrote just because I, I wanted to see a, a very literal word-by-word -word translation. I wrote the NASB of that same verse 8 and 9 below. Therefore, bear fruit, keeping with repentance. Who, Whose who's message? That's John the Baptist. And he's talking, he's, he's talking, he's saying that to the religious Pharisees and religious Jewish people. Why is he saying, and, and by the way, he called them snakes in the middle of the conversation. So you can tell it's not in a very nice context. Or do you suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that these stones, that from these stones, God is able to raise up children of Abraham. So where's this parable going? We must die to self and surrender to the work of the Spirit in our lives. Jesus says the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going to get into heaven ahead of you. They're going to go in before you. Now this is really big, really big. Is he sanctioning um, tax collecting? And when I say tax collecting, it's, it was do it illegally. To, to collect more than you're supposed to. Not just walk, working for the IRS, but they were stealing money. And is he sanctioning prostitution and stealing? No. You know what he's saying? They repented. When they heard the message, they repented. And you heard the message and you just watched the show. When they heard the message, you know what they did? They turned around and they went into the vineyard. And when you heard the message, you kept walking. That's the parable. The tax, he's not saying it's good to be a prostitute, yay, yay, or a tax collector. That's not what he's saying. He's saying they, they confessed their sins. They turned and repented and went to work in the vineyard. Where were the tax collector and the prostitute in the beginning? Going to the vineyard. No, I'm going this way. Something happened. What happened? The Holy Spirit happened. That's the parable. And here's the second part. The Holy Spirit always bears fruit. And that's the vineyard. That is the vineyard. The Holy Spirit always bears fruit. And he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Fruit and repentance, they go together. It is the repentance that bears the fruit fruit because it is the Holy Spirit that brought you to the repentance and brought you to the vineyard. It bears fruit. Always bears fruit. This is the essence or the result of our abiding and remaining in the Spirit. Now a lot of people struggle with this. It's a theological debate that I try to stay out of. Do I, when I come to repentance, do I need to abide? Do I need to remain? 
Is there a danger of not abiding? Is there a danger of not remaining? Some people say it doesn't matter because once you get in, you can't, nothing changes, you're in. Uh, do whatever you want to. I don't particularly, uh, if I could not read, I might be able to go along with that. But I've been able to read. And I want to read you something. Jesus in John 15 says this, and I'm, on, I'm tying all this to that original parable. What, what parable? Son, go to work in the vineyard. No. And then he goes. And he's justified. Son, go to work in the vineyard. Yes. But he doesn't go. He's not justified. And Jesus, not Terry Cooper, said tax collectors and the prostitutes that repented are going to be a headache you when it comes to heaven. Now, in that circle, listen to this. Jesus says, I'm the true grapevine and my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch. You remember what John the Baptist said? The axe is poised at the root of the tree. I'm, t I'm trying to connect the dots. The axe is poised. At Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? The axe is poised at the root of the tree. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. What's the fruit? It's the vineyard. Come to work for me in the vineyard. Allow the Holy Spirit to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance bears fruit. Why? Because you repented? No, because repentance brought the power of the Holy Spirit to fruition in your life. You actually turned and faced God. Brethren, you're back to him. And he prunes the branches that do not bear fruit so that they'll produce even more fruit. You've already been pruned and you've already been purified. And you know what did it? By the message. You've been pruned and you've been purified, church, by the message I have given you. Remain in me. Here comes the instruction. What's so important? You know what my inclination is? Even after I have gone to the vineyard, my inclination is to at some point turn and go this direction again. It's my, I'm in the flesh. But you have the spirit, but I'm in the flesh. So he says what? Keep yourself going this way. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. And what's the fruitful and remain in me? You can't be in the vineyard, and that's the fruitful, unless you remain in me. And you can't remain in me when you're facing that direction. You can't do it. You can't have your back to God and remain in him. Your fruit will start to dry up. And somebody will say, well, I don't really think so. Well, that's okay. What you think is uh, okay. It's just not true. This is, Jesus is explaining very clearly. Verse 5, yes, I'm the vine, your branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Why? Because you're in the vineyard. That's where the fruit comes from, right? For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away. That, that's, that means that obviously you cannot remain in him. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Why are they thrown away? 
there's no fruit. You're not in the vineyard. You got to get in the vineyard. Yes, I'll go. No, I won't go. Which one? Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. So such branches are gathered in a pile to be burned. Does anybody have to wonder what that means? But if you remain in me, and here we go, I'm going to say it again. My words, that's this, and my words remain in you. You may ask for anything you want and it'll be granted. You know why that's true? Because when you're abiding in him and you go to praying, you'll be praying what he wanted you to have already. Because you're already in the vineyard. And when you produce much fruit, da, 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 you are my true disciples, the real ones, not the fake ones. And when you produce much fruit, do you think you will do that outside the vineyard? No. No. No, you're not. You, apart from me, you can bear nothing. Well, where's he at? He's in the vineyard. And what is the vineyard? The place in which my surrendered, repentant heart is now usable by a holy God. That's called the vineyard. And I'm facing him. My back is not turned to him. I'm facing him. And when you produce much fruit, you're my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as my Father has loved you. Remain in my love. Why does he keep saying it? Remain in my love because he knows who we are. And when you obey my commandments, where one commandment would be, why don't you remain in my love? You remain in my love when you obey my commandments just as I obey my Father's commandments. And what was the commandment? Go to work in the vineyard. Yes, but he didn't go. I have told you these things so that you'll be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. If. Is that a condition? If. Well, what if you don't do what he commands? You know what the title of the Sunday sermon is? Is if. If you're curious, then come and see. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in slaves. Now you're my friends. Since I've told you everything the Father told me, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. So I want you to insert in there in your mind, son, go to work in the vineyard. I appointed you to go and bear fruit. Go to work in the vineyard. So each one of us are going to be one of those two sons. Yes, and you don't go. Or no, and you do go. Which one? I appointed you to go and bear lasting fruit, so the Father will give you whatever you ask for, you, for using my name. This is my command, love each other. The, this parable of the two sons is so convicting because why? Talk is cheap. Cheap. Jesus' instruction is quite clear. Go to work in the vineyard. 1 Corinthians 4.20, the Apostle Paul writes, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. Talk. Talk is go to work in the vineyard. Yes, but he never goes. So here's the conclusion to the parable. I'm going to repeat verses 31 and 32. 
Which of the two sons obeyed his father? They replied, the first. Then Jesus explained the meaning. I tell you the truth, the corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes. And I want you to understand that the reason, and and it'll be at the end so that you know I'm not making it up. The reason he puts corrupt tax collectors, not just tax collectors, and prostitutes is that they're going to hear the message and they're going to repent. And they're going to go into the vineyard and they're going to produce fruit. Because repentant Holy Spirit lives produce fruit in the vineyard. I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into heaven before you do. For John the Baptist came and he showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him. While tax collectors and prostitutes, they believed John the Baptist. And even when you saw this happening, what's this happening? Even when you saw tax collectors and prostitutes repenting and coming to God, you refuse, you, you refuse to do what they did. What? To repent of your sins. John the Baptist said what? Reprove by the way you live that you've repented and turned your sin. Turn to God. All right. Number 30, parable number 33. That number is just mine. It's not 33 anywhere else. The marriage feast, and we'll spend the rest of the night on this one. The marriage feast and a great banquet. Jesus also told them other parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven, and what are we talking about? Kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited. But they all refused to come. So I'm going to take this a piece at a time. It's too big. This story is about a king preparing a wedding for his son, and it is a picture of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, can we just start there? Jesus said, I'm going to show you what the kingdom of heaven. There's a king and a son, and he's going to send out these people to invite people to the wedding. The king, the kingdom, the son, the wedding feast. That's the storyline. The king has made the preparations and had his servants deliver the invitations, but something very strange happens. They all refuse, they all refuse to come to the wedding. Maybe that's not strange when you think about it. I've been invited to a lot of weddings I have not attended. I suppose you have too. Don't tell me you haven't because that makes me feel bad. (laughs) I admit today I do not have a 100% wedding attendance rate. I've been invited to a whole lot of them that I just have not or cannot go. I guess when you think about it, that would depend upon who's getting married. When I get an invitation to a wedding, it greatly depends upon who's getting married and my relationship with them. I can imagine that there would be some weddings that you would do anything to attend, right? And there are some weddings that you would do anything to not attend. Huh? I'm the only one honest enough to say that out loud. So let's continue with Jesus' wedding story. Because I can tell you, it's about to get interesting. Verse 4. So he, the king, sent servants. Now, now, pause. Remember the parable last week that we talked about the evil tenant farmers? And he kept sending people to 
to talk to them about the crop of the tenant farmers and, and they kept killing them. And we concluded that they were prophets that were in literal terms, they were prophets being sent with a message and they kept killing the prophets and running them out of town. Well, Jesus is saying, now the king has planned a wedding for his son and he's sending out uh, other servants. He's already sent out one batch. This is the second batch. And I want you, as I'm reading this, I want you to know that these are Old Testament prophets. Okay. So he sent other servants to tell them the feast has been prepared. The bulls and the fattened cattle have been killed and everything's ready. Come to the banquet. But the guest he had invited ignored them and went on their way. One to his farm and another to his business and others seized the messengers and insulted them and some killed them. Did you notice the phrase, other servants? This is the second calling in Jesus' parable. The second set of invitations to go out for everyone who gets the invitation. The invitation originally is specific to specific people. It, if you want to know what it means, it's God calling specifically the Jewish people. But they're ignoring the invitation. Why? It sounds like a great wedding feast to me. The bulls are fattened and fattened cattle have been killed. And, and how many weddings do you go to, especially today, that have steak? It's expensive. No unreasonable requirement or great cost to attend the wedding. Just come, get ready, and come. Why? Listen carefully. This is important. Because you're invited. Why would I come? Because you're invited. But, but, but you will need to get ready and you will need to come. You're invited. And why do you think Jesus is telling this story? He's going to die in a couple of days on the cross. Why do you think he's telling this story? Notice the six different responses to the wedding invitation in Jesus' story. I find them interesting. I find them also revealing. First, let me repeat verse 5 and 6. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers, insulted, and killed them. So I, I just roughly, there's six of them in there. The, the first is just they ignored the invitation. Threw it, got it out of the mailbox, threw it in the trash can. The second one, they just went on their way. Using that first parable, they're going this direction, they hear the weddings down here. I'm not going down here. There's a vineyard down there. They just keep going this way. They just ignore it. They go in their own way. Third one, they went to farming. <laughs> I got things to do. Fourth is they ran his own business. Sound familiar, anybody? Number five, he seized the mail carriers and insulted them. And then it's kind of worse to worse is they killed the mail carrier. Do you see the progression here as the date to the wedding gets closer? They first just insulted the invitation carrier, and now they're killing them. Why does Jesus tell this story? The closer you get to the wedding, do you think it'll change? Well, let's see. Let's see. 
What's the big deal anyway? Why would anyone be so reluctant to attend a wedding, especially when they're serving steak at the reception? If you don't think deeply, if you're in the room tonight, or maybe you're watching this online, and you do not have ears to hear, you're going to miss this part. And this is the part that matters. Who's throwing this wedding anyway, and who's getting married? Jesus is telling this story for a very specific reason. Who's throwing the wedding and who's getting married? The king is hosting a wedding for his son. Why is Jesus telling the story on, a, on the week he'll die? The king, and not everyone likes the king. And if you don't like the king, you're not going to like the king's son either. So you've just been handed an invitation, and down deep inside of you, you don't even like the king, so much less the king's son. And if you don't like the king, why would you want to come to the wedding of the king's son? The king has authority and power, and so does the son, and you don't want to be bothered with that, even if they are serving steaks at the reception. Because why? Think about it. It's in the practical parable sense, I've got to get ready. If I go to this wedding, I'll have to bow down at this wedding. I will have to acknowledge the authority and glory of the king and his son at this wedding. And who wants to do all that anyway? I could be fishing. I could be doing something else, right? Look at the six excuses. Now, this is really important. This is where you have to have ears to hear. Who's sending out invitations? The king. Who's getting married? The king's son. So who are they really? God the Father has invited you and I to the wedding of his son. Does anybody have anything on their calendar bigger than this event? And what are they doing? And what are they doing? What's, what's the story? They've ignored it, gone their own way. The farm's more important. My business is more important. I'm going to slap that mailman in the jaws, and then I'm going to shoot one of them. That's what just happened. That just makes me feel even smaller, this person, let's think about it, than I already feel. If I've got to go to a wedding and bow down to everybody there, it just makes me feel even smaller than I already do. And by the way, I got a farm to run, I got a business to take care of, and I got things on my calendar. There's one problem with that response to the wedding invitation of the king. The king is the king. And whether or not you attend his wedding, guess what? You'll still be king. These uninterested and distracted people of the king's kingdom have just killed the mailman of the king because they didn't like the message. Anybody want to play that in reality? They just killed the mailman because they didn't like the message. John the Baptist, Peter, Andrew. James, Paul, go down the list. They killed the mailman because they didn't like the message. What's the message? The king is going to have a wedding. 
And he's sending out invitations. And if you don't like the invitation, you kill the mailman? You kill the messenger? What do you think's coming after that? Let me, let me pause. This is pretty important. In Jesus' storyline, it is progressive. They've gone from ignoring the message, invitation to the wedding, to killing the messenger who's bringing the invitation to your house. That's a pretty big gap. Okay, I hope you haven't read ahead. What do you think the king's going to do? If you were king, what would you do? What would you do? Is, is there anything that justice might have application here? So let's continue with the wedding story of Jesus. Remember, the king has already sent out two, two invitations to the wedding. Now the king is sending his army. He's not sending out mailmen anymore. The army's coming. Verse 7. The king is furious. So he sent out his army to destroy the murderers. Specific, those who killed the mailmen, and burned their town. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast, this could be the prophets again, preachers, if you want a New Testament, the wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now let's pause. This story finds its origin in God's call to Israel. And if you read Romans 9, 10, and 11, you'll see that's pretty clear. God called Israel to come to the wedding. But when Messiah, the Son, arrives on the earth, most of them wouldn't have anything to do with him. They didn't want any part of the wedding, right? They are played out in this story as the ones who ignored the prophets, ignored the prophecies, and eventually killed the prophets who preached Jesus Messiah. The wedding feast is ready. The guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners. All right, here comes the connection of the dots. What have we talked about tonight that operates from the street corners? the prostitutes and the tax collectors. Go to the street corner. What? Those people aren't, they aren't worthy. They're not worthy. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, but they're not worthy. So he doesn't just stop and have the wedding with nobody there, does he? Everybody in the room right now, if you're a Gentile, I'll say hallelujah. Yeah, that was pretty pitiful. <laughs> I'm not sure y'all excited about the wedding tonight either. Everybody else say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hey, that's better. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. That's us. And when you, when you get it, you get it. That's me. That's me. I'm that person. Israel rejected Messiah. And what does he say? Go out to the street corners to these wannabes, these simple people. Invite everyone you see. So the servants brought everyone they could find. They even went down into Bertie, good and bad alike, prostitutes, tax collectors. 
And the banquet hall was filled with guests. This is the church age. You're in it. This is it. If you're waiting for something to come, you're going to miss the story. This is it. You are living in that sentence. The army dispatched by the king wasn't sent to kill everyone, just the murderers of the messengers of the king. So the king burnt down their towns. It happened in 586 B.C. and it happened again in 70 A.D. He burnt down their town, scattered them across the earth. Do you see it? To everyone else, here comes the third invitation, but the addresses on the invitations have now been changed. In fact, the king is going to do a mass mailing, a global mailing to everyone you see. This is going to be a wedding. There is going to be a wedding, and there's going to be a banquet. No matter what, it's unstoppable. The king will be king no matter what. The son of the king will be honored no matter what. This wedding is on. The only question is who will receive the invitation and who will respond to that invitation to the great wedding. And did I mention their servant steak? And by the way, in the millennial kingdom, they do still eat steak. Ask me one day and I'll show you where it's at. Things are heating up in the story. Want to see what's next in this Jesus wedding story? Before I read this next part, I must ask a question. Why do you think Jesus, before he dies, would tell this story as one of the last stories recorded in the Scripture? What did he know? Back to the story in the wedding zone. The wedding day has now arrived. This is going to get deep right now. I pray everybody here has ears to hear and that you're going to get it. Verse 11, but when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for the wedding. Hmm. Now this, the wedding day's here, okay? But he finds some guy, who, they, who have they invited? Everybody, right? Everybody. So now he's found the... The king has walked in to find somebody not wearing the proper clothes. 12, verse 12. Friend, the king asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man, this is important, had no answer, no reply. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. No answer. He's got nothing. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet. And it's at this point that some of these other people said, see, I told you I didn't want to go there with. Listen, this is important. King said, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let me, let me give you my twist on that last sentence. Many are invited. That's pretty clear, right? Many have been invited to this wedding. But only a few will attend the wedding feast. The king walks around to meet the guests at the wedding and notices a man that is not properly dressed for a wedding of such royalty. 
And it is curious at face value, if you don't have ears to hear, if the Holy Spirit doesn't give you ears to hear, you're going to read this and think, "Um, this is not making sense to me. The king asks, why are you not properly clothed for this wedding? The man had no reply, no response to this dreadful question from the king. I mean, what are you going to say? He's king. I want you to visualize a man at this royal wedding of the king's son dressed in soiled, dirty clothes. And I want you to maybe to close your eyes and visualize it in your mind that the king comes in and everything is white and everything is beautiful. And there's the king and it's glorious. And there's a guy standing there and he's filthy. What does it mean? In light of everything we've talked about tonight, what does it mean? Mean. No repentance. And I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. So it's not just my opinion. He lacks repentance. He's dirty. I have said a hundred times here over and over. And I always look at people's faces when I say say it. Because I wonder how many people actually hear me. There is no forgiveness of sin without repentance. Zero. Zero. This guy's still dirty. He's come to the wedding dirty. It doesn't matter if you're a prostitute. If you'll repent, you'll come clean. If you're a corrupt tax collector and you repent, you'll come clean. If you're a murdering thief, if you'll repent, you'll come clean to the wedding. Right? But what if you don't? Well, let's find out. This guy's got no response. That ought to tell you all you need to know. What can you say to the king when he says... You're not fit for this assembly. A man without preparation, a man without respect for the king and the king's son is now in the audience. He could have prepared, and this is important. And by the way, it's in John's teaching, it's in Jesus' teaching. He could have prepared for the wedding. He had time to prepare for the wedding. He could have done Confess your sin and repent of that sin. Okay, let's do this. Confess your sin. Turn around. Face God. Have mercy on me, a sinner. He's clean. He can come to the wedding. It's not like this man didn't have time to get ready or prepare in Jesus' story. But he just didn't see it to be important. It's the idea that that has come into the American church that has lost its fear of God, that has lost its fear of the king. The idea that everybody's going to get to go to the wedding when he said many are going to be invited, but only a few are going to go to the wedding. Many are called, few are chosen. And this guy was called, he's there, but he's not chosen because he's dirty. He has not received the blood of Christ because he has refused what unlocks the blood of Christ. Son, go to work in my vineyard. Turn, you know what that is? Turn around. Turn around. I don't want to turn around. Well, there is no vineyard over here. The vineyard's over here. Turn around. 
I don't want to. But I want to go to the wedding on the last day. That's this guy. Maybe he thought it would be a casual or insignificant thing that anybody, that many are called and many are chosen. Either way, and let me just say this, if you're in the room tonight and you think this is about your need to wear fancy clothes at a wedding, you are surely not getting this story. The man had no answer. There's nothing you can say at that time to the king. This man had been invited by the king to the great wedding feast, but he needed a wedding garment. Here it comes. He needed a wedding garment. <laughs> Where do you get one of those, you suppose? He'd been invited by the king. They'd sent out a mass mailing of invitations around the world, but he needed a wedding garment or he would miss out on the whole event. He needed to be, here comes the religious spiritual term, he needed to be clothed in righteousness to attend this event. Clothed in righteousness, but he's dirty. He's not clothed in righteousness, he's clothed in unrighteousness. Jesus in the seven churches of Revelation writes a note, tells John, write it down to the church at Laodicea. You say you are rich and in need of nothing, but you have no idea that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And you think you're coming to the wedding? You know who he wrote that to? A church. You say you have need of nothing. We got this. I'm going to the wedding. You're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. You think naked's coming to the wedding? No. No. You see, after the invitations were sent, this is so important. He needed to respond. He needed to respond to the invitation of the king. And you know what the response is? He needed to prepare himself for the wedding. Is that unreasonable? I, my response is to prepare myself for the wedding. I need to prepare myself for this great feast. This wedding garment is a picture of the righteousness needed to enter the kingdom of heaven. What's this parable about? The kingdom of heaven. You're going to need, I'm going to need a wedding garment to enter the kingdom of heaven. This wedding supper of the Lamb. Christ, the Son, is the only source of this wedding garment. You're not going to order it on Amazon. You're not going to get it at Walmart. You're not going to get it anywhere except one place. He is the source of the wedding garment and the righteousness that it represents is him. I want you to look at how the prophet Isaiah describes this garment of righteousness. You, you, you wear it. And he connects it 750 years before Christ. He connects it to a wedding. Isaiah says, I'm overwhelmed with joy in the Lord, my God. 
For he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in the robe of righteousness. I'm like a bridegroom in his wedding suit or a bride with her jewels. What a beautiful picture. He has dressed me in the clothing of salvation. He has covered my sinfulness with himself and draped me with the robe of righteousness. Nobody's going to the wedding supper without this robe of righteousness. The robe of righteousness, you got to put it on and you got to wear it. And here's what nobody wants me to say out loud. You will need to prepare to do it. Yeah, you will. There is still personal responsibility. I bear it, you bear it. There is personal responsibility and accountability. Both of these parables scream it. They scream it. Right, personal, res accept responsibility for your life. Go to work in the vineyard. No. Oh, wait a minute, I better think this thing through. Yes, I'll go. Accept responsibility for your life. This one, accept, you, you got an invitation to the king? Well, I don't need to prepare, I'll just show up. No, you won't. No, you won't. Accept responsibility for your life. He's told you what to do. You'll need a robe of righteousness. Jesus, the Son of God, has provided this garment of righteousness for everyone. But each person must put it on in order to enter the wedding banquet of this great king. So let me, let me give you the, one of my favorite pictures for this particular topic. When Jesus was crucified, it said they parted his garment. It fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. In other words, they pretty much stripped him naked. And he had a garment that had some value. It was seamless, and in that day that would have been valuable. In fact, you remember the soldiers didn't want to cut it because it had some value, so they bartered it, traded for it. But I want you to come to this spiritual truth. When Jesus, when they took off his clothing and he bore the shame of all humanity on that tree, stripped naked and beaten for the whole world to watch, when he took off that garment of righteousness. He was perfect. He had never broken one law of Moses, never violated one law of his father, never done anything disrespectful to his parents. He'd never done anything wrong in his life. The only perfect human. So that which he wore to the cross was the robe of perfection. Even though it had blood all over it, it was the robe of righteous perfection. And he took it off and put on mine. He put, he put on my robe. Nakedness. Shameful nakedness. He wore my robe to the tree. And laying there on the ground is the robe, the bloody robe of righteousness. And you know he told, put it on. Wear it. Word. This is the robe that'll get you to the wedding. One. That which he took off, we must put on.
that which we wore, he put on. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought me peace was upon him. And by his wounds, God, by his wounds, Terry Cooper's healed. Why? Because his robe of righteousness, by his death and suffering voluntarily, he gave me access to the robe of righteousness. That by confession, by repentance, by turning and saying, have mercy upon me, Lord, a sinner. He said, you can wear my robe to the wedding. This is the parable. This is an open invitation. I love the part that he sent it to the whole world. You're 2,000 years into this mass mailing. And I can tell you with all of my heart, the day of the wedding is coming close. But you must be ready. You must be dressed. There is a response required to attend his wedding of the great king. You don't RSVP with your back to him. You RSVP by facing him. Jesus gives this message to the church. I'm going to close with it tonight. And it ends with ears to hear. Guess what? All of them say the same thing, ears to hear. But listen closely. This is Jesus, one of the seven churches of Revelation. He t it's a church. Why would he say this to a church unless he knows something that still the church today hasn't figured out? Jesus, write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. Here's what Jesus says. I know all the things you do, that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. He is saying this to a church? Yes. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains for even what is left is almost dead. I find, Jesus said, I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. And you're going to the wedding? If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly and unexpectedly as a thief. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. Do you see the wedding garment? They have not soiled their clothes with evil. They walk with me. There's the garment of his righteousness. They walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And all who are victorious will be clothed in white. And I will never erase their names from the book of life. And I will announce them before my Father. And his angels, that they are mine. Can you imagine going into the wedding and God the Father and Jesus the Son is at his right hand. And you walk in and you're clothed in his righteous garment. And Jesus looks at his dad and says, he's mine. He's one of mine. That one. He looks at the angels and says, he's one of mine. She's one of mine. She's mine. That's what he just said. I want to read it again. 
All who are victorious will be clothed in white, and I will never erase their names from the book of life. But I will announce before my Father and the angels, they are mine. There's going to be two groups. There's two groups in the church at Sardis. Did you see it? The first group is clearly not ready. They're not dressed for the wedding. Jesus tells the church, wake up, wake up. Verse 2, wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Wake up and do what? Wake up and get dressed. Prepare for the wedding. But how? Repent and turn to me again. That's what he said. Repent and turn to me again. Looks like the second invitation in Jesus' wedding story. But is, is the message of Christ to the church... This is the message of Christ to the church. It's not to unbelievers. It's to the church. But there's a second group in the church at Sardis. I want to read it one more time. There's some in the church in Sardis that have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. There are some, he says, not soiled. There are some that are dressed in white and are prepared to walk with Christ the King. There are some, there are some, I, I wish he'd have said many. There are some that are worthy because they prepared themselves for the wedding. It's been on their calendar for a long time. They received the invitation from the Father and they have prepared themselves for the big event. So back to the wedding parable. Why is the king so angry? He sent out his army to kill those who killed the messengers. Why is the king so angry? When this man didn't prepare for the wedding, even after receiving the gracious invitation for the king. Why does the king sound so serious? And why is Jesus telling the story? The king, I'll go down to verse 13. The king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness. Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called and few are chosen. So I'm going to ask you, what, what are you going to do with that? What, what, what are we going to do with it? Why is he angry? Anybody want to guess why he's angry? The wedding feast of the king comes after the cross. The invitations were sent to the church after the cross. And you mean the God of heaven sent his son to become naked on a tree so that you would get an invitation in your mailbox and you won't prepare for the wedding? You see why he's angry? It's not like I have to tell you what weeping and gnashing of teeth means, do I? It's hell. It's not like people don't know. They do know. But they're deceived into either unbelief or to be unprepared. One last scripture, Revelation 19. And then I heard again what sounded like a shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves and the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him. For the time has, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and the bride has prepared herself.
She has been given the finest pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Son, go to work in the vineyard. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this invitation that you have sent for us to come to the wedding. And Father, may each of us, every one of us tonight, be prepared for the wedding. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.